Hey everyone, welcome to episode 104 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. This week's guest really helped me out in a pinch. I had a couple of cancellations and I was really getting worried that I couldn't produce a podcast this week. But our guest came through and really just delivered a fantastic conversation. Thanks so much to Charles Zimmerman. He is a Colorado-based landscape photographer living in Denver and goes by the nickname of Kaz, which is short for from his name, Charles A. Zimmerman. He has been a landscape photographer for several years. He's owned his own gallery for five years, and he's an avid visitor of the American Southwest. He's a former lawyer and often finds himself playing devil's advocate on many issues relating to landscape photography something that I made sure that I took full advantage of on the podcast. So in this episode of the podcast, we sat down with Charles to talk about some of the most important topics of our time as landscape photographers, and Charles offers some very different perspectives than what you are probably used to hearing here on the podcast. So I definitely recommend you sit down and take a listen. We talked about location overcrowding and how it might be a positive thing, how to find secret places, Photographing icons and comp stomping, and again, some alternative views there. Uh, workshops and how to find a good one and what to expect. And some really solid advice for photographers. Uh, I've really enjoyed that conversation. This week on Patreon, Charles and I talk about his experience setting up a small business, mistakes he made in running his own gallery, and how you can learn from them, and a lot more. So check that out. Well, just a quick reminder, our special offer over on Patreon is about to end. You have until the end of April to sign up to receive incredible discounts on some amazing tutorials offered by some of our incredible podcast guests, including Alex Noriega, Michael Shanebloom, Eric Bennett, Colleen Menix-Berry, Sarah Marino, oh, and uh, Joshua Cripps as well. So check that out. More information can be found over in the liner notes of the podcast. All right, before we get started... I wanted to tell you about one of our patrons, Jason Matias, founder of The Art of Selling Art. You probably remember him from episode 79, where we discussed the business of art, marketing, art fairs, and my personal favorite, finding your voice. Uh, for those who have been following along, Jason just released an awesome, comprehensive guide to creating giveaways over on The Art of Selling Art. If you're like me, you're thinking, that sounds pretty simple. Like how hard is it to do a giveaway on Facebook or whatever? However, Jason's approach covers so many angles that I hadn't thought of. It will totally make you rethink how you're leveraging your social media accounts to monetize your artwork, which then allows you the freedom to get out there and create more art. Just head over to jasonmatias.com to learn more. I also want to tell you about another one of our amazing Patreon supporters, Danny LeFrancois the woman behind Banff Photo Workshops and Tours in the beautiful Canadian Rockies. I personally have been really wanting to go to Banff to photograph the incredible, incredible beauty that that place has to offer. There's so much to see there. I personally would never take a workshop where I shared the attention of the leader with several other people. However, I think Danny has the perfect solution to that. She offers one-on-one -on -one local expertise in private, personalized workshops and photo tours where she will help you with everything from finding your vision, how composition could tell a visual story, or even understanding your camera. So whether you just got your camera and want to learn how to use it, 
or if you're an advanced photographer and want to experience the best of the Canadian Rockies, Danny has you covered. Visit BanffPhotoWorkshops.com to check out all the different options Danny has to offer, including half-day, full-day, multi-day trips, as well as some awesome night photography excursions. Well, thank you to our incredibly amazing, super-duper awesome, rad Patreon supporters and podcast producers. Yes, I know I'm a total nerd. These amazing folks contribute at the $20 a month level and higher on our Patreon page. Thank you so much. Michael Howard, Jack Curran, Eric Stensland, Chris Rice, Jeff Peterson, Charlotte Gibb, Jason Matias, Anton Everine, Lori Berenson, Roger Nadell, William Nurse, Ken Dono, Danny LeFrancois, James Bacavoy, Matthias at Photo Magica, Richard Wong, Kelly Buchelern, and Matthew Boone. Thank you so much. You guys really are the lifeblood of this podcast. Thank you so much. All right, let's get to the show. All right, well, Charles Zimmerman, aka Kaz, uh, welcome to F Stop Collaborate and Listen. Thanks for for kind of joining up at the last minute, and um, I'm excited for this one because we have a ton of mutual friends, and uh, you have a lot of really great topics uh, that you said you want to talk about, and these are all topics that I'm also excited to talk about. So uh, before we dive right in, I just maybe just give people kind of a elevator pitch on. Uh, who you are, and maybe just introduce uh, yourself to us. Well, I, uh, I'm a landscape photographer um, who left the legal world uh, after 20 years of practicing law, and I've uh, been trying to indulge my more creative side um, with the photography. Uh, it's less confrontational and, and certainly more rewarding, you might say. It can be more con- less controversial, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> generally speaking, it is. Yeah. Um, so it's a uh, it's a way to indulge. I, I don't know my passions and, and an excuse for me to get outside um, and enjoy enjoy the desert. I prefer, although I live in in Colorado in Denver on the uh, the eastern slope. Um, the front range, I prefer to drive completely across the state of Colorado and drop down into Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, um, and the, uh, the Red Rock and Canyon countries. Yeah. You've been, uh, bitten by the, the bug of the desert Southwest, huh? Absolutely. A long time ago. And it, it, I haven't, well, I haven't tried to find a cure for that. I'm enjoying That's probably, it. that's good. I mean, I, I feel like I just recently got introduced to it, and I totally understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's pretty amazing stuff. It, it is an amazing place, and especially I uh, I'm really big on light reflected onto sandstone. Um, so a mm. lot of my, in fact, the majority of my shots don't have any direct sunlight in them whatsoever. It's all illuminated from That's the reflected awesome. light. Yeah, it's pretty amazing how that works it brings out all kinds of colors and it's pretty fascinating <laughs> it is and it's just beautiful yeah well one of the topics i wanted to just dive right into was um 
this kind of notion that I think we're all ex- experiencing, but you've been doing photography much longer than I have and have probably seen seen it shift quite a bit in your time. And that is uh, location overcrowding. Um, and a, a lot of the places that you're talking about in the desert Southwest are um, really getting impacted by that. Uh, but uh, one thing you had mentioned to me in your message to me before we started was uh, that you think that there's some positive things that could come out of this. And I was curious as to kind of what you meant by that. You know, Matt, um, and I'm known to t- take the opposing view on a lot of things, but I, that must be the attorney in you coming out, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and the fact that I've already been to uh, lower antelope a number of times when uh, back in the days when they used to just give you a four hour pass, but didn't even enforce it. You could stay in there all day and see maybe six or eight other people. Um, wow. Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable back then. But it's still beautiful an experience for people who are from out of state, although no, you can no longer do tripod photography in Lower Antelope. In, um, but the point is, is, you know, when people think of Page, they think of three the big three locations, right? Lower Antelope, Antelope, and Horseshoe Bend Overlook. Um, sure. You can still get good shots in those places. For example, at, at Horseshoe Bend, They've put up a viewing platform with rails and and everything else. A lot of people um, just follow what they think the rules are, and they wait on that platform. That's actually concentrated people right there. Now, that, unfortunately, is in the very middle of the viewing area. But it's actually freed up a little bit of space on either side of it, as opposed to having people two and three and four four deep on on a nice you know, summer sunset. So um, some ways that's been a positive, but having those three locations there, people plan a trip around and they don't bother to look anywhere else. Um, so for example, and you know, you and I talked briefly about it. Um, Waterhole Slot Canyon was a great canyon. It was it's short, mm-hmm. but beautiful, tremendously easy to access. And, um, and, you know, shot that for years, of course, last year, they, decided that, hey, there are people who are interested in this and we're going to charge for it. So now you need a guide. Um, but in addition to that, there are so many other places, um, other slot canyons, other rock formation areas, right. um, and and the water, you know, f- from Lake Powell there, that everybody, or not everybody, but many people overlook uh, because they're so dialed in. So if you do a little bit of research and take the time, or just take the time to drive around. Um, there are many, many places that are completely crowded because everyone is so dialed in on those three overcrowded places. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> my friends and I like to call that phenomenon, you know, those are the sacrificial lambs. <laughs> you know, those are, <laughs> those are those locations are what we sacrifice so that we can actually enjoy nature as photographers instead of piling on top of one another to try to get the same photograph that everyone already has. Um, it, which to me is kind of a totally, uh, and I know we're going to talk about that later, but I just have to throw it in there. Like it really kind of just blows my mind that that's even a thing. I just, I don't really understand it psychologically because whenever I find myself in those situations, the, my, my 
like radar goes up and my skin starts crawling and all I want to do is go home, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I don't really fully understand why people put up with that, but, um, that's, you know, that's, we'll talk about that later. You, you know, know it's, it, it's, <laughs> it's that sheep mentality, um, which is, is why your sacrificial lambs, uh, right. It's title works so well. It's a sheep mentality. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, Back before digital, I was shooting medium format, yeah. and my normal travel uh, photo buddy was shooting large format. And we're at uh, Bryce Canyon, and it's late in the afternoon, so there's there's not much going on down in the canyon as far as you know lighting up and things like that. So we set our cameras down and we just sit on this this old fence and just kind of taking it all in, enjoying. Yeah. Suddenly, imagine that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Not running from location to location. Um, and, and suddenly, the what you had mentioned happens right. to me. I get this really creepy feeling, and the hair on the back of my neck stands up. I turn around, and there are 30 to 40 people standing behind us. They're just looking at us because we had uh, you know, what they thought were fancy cameras, so we must know what the shot is, and we're just waiting for the shot, right? And, and I'm looking at these people all confused, and they're looking dead at me. Right. And some older gentleman goes, oh, you're just resting, right? And I said, yeah. And somebody from the back of the crowd goes, assholes. <laughs> <laughs> like we had misled them in some way. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's like, don't, don't follow That's me. That's amazing. Get your, get your own shot, man. I, you know, it's just, it's just nuts. Uh, I suppose when, um, when you were first starting out shooting those locations, I'm sure you probably hardly ever ran into people at all. Yeah, you're, you're right. This is around, uh, just after, you know, this is, we're talking about 2002, 2003. Right. Um, is when I started. The golden age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because there was access to those things. You didn't have to take the, uh, the ladders down into lower antelope, um, Right, and now you've got like a giant parking lot that you have to pay money for at Horseshoe Bend, versus when you shot it, there was nothing, right? There was nothing. You you would drive right past it. There was a really small dirt lot and a relatively small sign uh, saying, "Yeah, you know Horseshoe Bend." And if you weren't told to look for that sign, you would never even know it was there. You'd just keep driving right past. Right. And now it's like what fifteen bucks just to park your car. They just started that. Yeah, they cleared the fancy new lot um, to accommodate more tour buses and uh, and more people, and it's fifteen dollars uh, a car to get in there now. And, and that's that's just for the parking lot. They don't charge to go to the viewpoint, but they do charge for the parking lot, and that's the city of Page. So your parks pass um, even won't work on it, um, even though the viewing area is in the Glen Canyon National Recreation Area. But um, the, uh, the parking lot's technically within the bounds of the City of Page. and if you, So you pay your 15 bucks to City of Page just to park there. Yeah, I was just down there a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't even go there. I didn't go to I – I did what you said. I, I avoided all those places, and I went other places. <laughs> you know i mean i understand the need to get the shot or have that experience um 
because I, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Ohio. And the Southwest is com- was completely foreign to me. You know, I, I grew up as trees mm-hmm. and, and hills and, and this and that. And out here, especially in the desert Southwest, there are no trees. There's, you know, in some places there's no vegetation higher than your knee as far as, as, far as you can see. Um, so it really blew right. my mind. And the first time I was in Lower Antelope, um, really, really blew my mind. Um, I'm sure. And, you know, back then, too. You want to talk about that and reminisce, but Upper Antelope, or properly Antelope Canyon, you used to just drive up right off the roadway, park, and then take a just jump on whatever vehicle is going back there next, and you could stay there as long as you wanted to. Wow, <laughs> times have changed, yeah. man. It's yeah. it's pretty interesting how in I mean, you think about it; it's only been five to 15 years that this has all happened, right? Most of the overcrowding uh, started, well, you know, it got really, it started getting pretty bad around 2014. Yeah, it was Um, only five years ago. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and it's, you know, exponentially uh, become crazier and crazier as time goes on. Yeah, what do you what do you attribute that to? I mean, I, I for me, I, I feel like it's kind of a combination of the rise of social media and the easy access to to camera equipment. Yeah, I I, to- I completely agree. Um, the social media shows you where these things are, and people promote them and show, hey, here's a picture on Instagram, or here's my picture on Facebook, and I took this, so you can too, and you know. With digital photography, um, it's just so easy to go in now and take a beautiful photograph, um, you know, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Uh, obviously, there's more to it than that. But, you know, people can just right. buy your, your, you know, prosumer or consumer DSLR um, and just go on in there. Right. It's funny. uh one of the podcast listeners and a friend of mine, Bruce Couch, he posted a photo a couple of days ago, um, I think using his drone of a campsite he was at. And it's a pretty recognizable spot in Utah. That, And I was like, oh, I just camped there twice in the last month. And, um, you know, I didn't say where it was or anything. And one of his, his Facebook uh, friends was like, well, where is it? Tell us where it is. <laughs> and I was like, it's in Utah. <laughs> That's as close as I'm going to tell you. And she got all mad. Like, well, I live in Utah. Just tell me where it is. It's like, you don't understand. Like, we don't want hundreds and thousands of people going to these spots. Well, um, yeah, that, that, if you're ready to move on to, to uh, secret places and secret locations, that would be a perfect lead in. Uh, that was kind of um, what I was going for, dude. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, Lobbing uh, me the softball there. <laughs> I'll swing. Uh, okay. So that's exactly, it. you know, the secret places, you're not going to find them by, you know, commenting on a post. Where is this? Um, either the spot is truly secret and nobody's going to tell you, or it's just a spot you didn't know about before, right. but is incredibly famous. Everybody's going to laugh at you. (laughs) 
Right. <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, this is social media. People aren't kind. But, uh, you know, you're, you're never going to find a spot that way. You may find a spot, um, a location that somebody posts by sending them, and you know, sending them a, a message, you know, on, on Messenger or something. Let's say you see it on Facebook. You send them a message on Messenger saying, hey, you know, I, I understand this is a secret spot. Uh, if you're willing to, you know, if you're willing to uh, disclose a location to somebody who, and then tell them how, you know, you're responsible and you won't tell anybody else, then I would love to know. If not, I, I completely understand. Okay. And, you know, more often than not, when I do that, I get blown off too. But um, sometimes people will tell you. You know, it's funny. I actually, uh, probably in the last month, I've had that happen to me two or three times where someone reached out to me. They said, hey, I'm going to that place in New Mexico that you took this photo. Can you tell me the, can you tell me how you get to where you took that shot? And then they go on to say like, I understand like if you don't want to tell me, but I promise I'm, uh, I will respect the place and like, I won't tell other people, blah, 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 you know? And I just told them, I was like, look, man, I don't know you. Like you can just say that stuff but until I actually know you personally, I'm not going to tell you, um, I'll maybe kind of point you in the right direction, but you need to kind of figure it out, you know? Yeah. Yep. And there are a lot of ways to do that, but you're right. Um, and this started, this was started with me at the beginning of my photography because I'm, I'm really, um, I really love the, the ruins and the rock art. Oh and, yeah. And those things have always been relatively secret. Um, you don't tell people where this particular panel is, what this particular greenery is, that type of thing. Um, so I'm right. used to that from the beginning. A lot of people, uh, are not, and especially as far as, you know, when it comes to social media, um, like you said, they expect right. they have expectations that are, you and I would find unreasonable, um, regarding disclosure. But yeah, I, I'll do the same thing. If it actually, you know what, if it's somebody I know, um, I'll ask them to trade me locations. <laughs> if they, if they've got a great spot i want to know all about it um so yeah i personally i don't know for me like i don't know i think we all have to kind of think about what our litmus test is but for me like i need to personally know them and understand that like they're not the kind of person that's going to take a workshop to a place they're not the kind of person that's going to tell everyone they know they're not going to think they're, you know, they're going to respect the place. They're going to pick up after themselves. They're not going to destroy the place. And I, the only way I personally can do that is if I've actually, if I actually know the person relatively well. Yeah. Well, that's completely reasonable. I, I think, um, because that's, you know, we all went to these places to survive. I don't, I don't particularly care if somebody comp stomps me and, and takes my, my same photograph. I've had that happen a couple of times, but um, I don't want the destruction of the environment, of the location, of the you know the, these granaries are, are very uh, very fragile, and um, yeah, you know that's that's what concerns me. What's well, like uh, what is that? Uh, what's that spot in Canyonlands that they had to just shut down? Uh, well, they've. Uh, you may be talking about False Kiva or Aztec Butte. Yeah, They're False Kiva. Yeah, False Kiva. They had to shut it down because it got um, 
I think there was like graffiti and then someone like started a fire in the Kiva and then someone tried to fix it. I don't know. Like there was a whole, I've heard all these stories about it, but nevertheless, like it's now closed. Yeah, it is because it's a really bad. I mean, yeah, it's not a real Kiva. Um, Who knows who put those stones there, but it's really cool. And um, it's super cool looking. (laughs) Yeah. When I, when I first went there, they, there was nothing published. You had to kind of figure it out and show the uh, park ranger on a topographic map that you knew where it was, you know, you'd say, Hey, it's right here. I know that. Will you tell me which, how to get on the trail to it? Yeah. Yeah. And and so you had to do that. That was the only way you could get it. It wasn't uh, published anywhere or anything like that. And the park rangers kind of, you know, would eyeball you and and see if you look like trouble. I suppose. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But, Right across, uh, you've also done that um, kind of right across the street from there in uh, in Aztec Butte, which is, you know, just a, it was a beautiful, beautiful location, but people have crawled in and out of the granary and knocked the walls down. Uh, it's and, sad. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it is bad. I mean, I, I'm glad I've got photos of those locations, but I still, you know, welcome the opportunity to go back. <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, how do we how do we solve this? Because I think obviously it's not just photographers that are going to these places. I think this whole influencer culture and era that we find ourselves in has really changed the game because people are now um, trying to monetize visitation to a location. And really all they care about is that they get a shot that they can then promote with a brand. And that's to me, it's like the commercialization of locations is a real problem that we ha- we're grappling with right now. Wow, I um I had no idea that, that it had gotten that bad, and that's what was going on. I, I really think uh, the way we do it is um is be selective about what we publish, and that may be uh, by publishing we distribute, you know, in social media and things like that, and um and that may be being selective about the images you put up, um, you know, just put up images that aren't that, uh, that potentially, uh, locations where the locations aren't potentially that fragile. Um, and if you do then remain absolutely silent about the location, um, where it is, how to get there, um, anything else, uh, because, you know, you know, we put these pictures up. Um, hey, this you know, is what I'm doing. I think it's pretty. I want to share it with you. Um, maybe we put it on our sites and uh, and put up something else and say, hey, you know, if you want to see more like this, go to my site. You know, and um, and that would maybe filter out some of those some of those other folks. And you still don't have any of the information on your site, but at least you know you could show people. Uh, your work that way. Yeah. I mean, I think definitely, I think part of it is just being very careful about what you share and who you share it with. I think that's, to me, that's, I don't know, individually, that's one of the best things we can all try to do. I don't know if you, you know, Nick Page, um, he has his podcast, but if you follow him on Instagram, he tags every single location he takes a photo at um, as, uh, I think he does it as Delicate Arch. (laughs) 
So like every like every every photo is tagged as delicate arch. Because, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, for the same reasons we're talking about, you know, these locations. If you if you publicize a location, like it will show the world where to find it, and that's. Um, I don't. It's a tough. It's a tough. Yes tough thing because it's not like I want to be selfish and I want these places for myself, but you know, like you look at the, I don't know if you've been following the whole poppy field thing in California. The, the Oh God. Yeah. Like yeah. I saw a picture the other day. I don't know which account it was, but they were showing, uh, they were showing the change, um, in this particular, uh, pullover where in the in that part i think it's a natural preserve um the poppy fields are and they showed a picture from like august 2nd where um the flowers had just started coming up or something like that and then um it showed a couple of small patches of dirt right next to the path and then they showed a picture a week later and there was all these social trails in this huge patches of dirt that had just spread into the flower field um and it just shows like how quickly like in two weeks that entire spot was just decimated from people just going there it's crazy well you know matt we have the same problem here in colorado i mean just think about yankee boy Basin oh absolutely during wildflower season people are trampling all over the place yeah our american um, basin yeah our american basin yeah yeah um, and i just I don't have the solution for that. I don't know what it is um, because I agree with uh, something you said earlier. It's, I don't think it's the uh, professional photographers or, or the serious photographers who are, are you know, doing the damage. Um, quite frankly, whenever I've encountered the other photographers in the field, they're usually picking up the garbage that somebody else left, <laughs> you know, that type of thing right. um, versus, you know, leaving some of their own. So I think it's the, uh, the casual, you know, the casual photographer and they find these places and it's easy to get to uh, apparently from the Los Angeles area or something. And they just flood out there. Well, I think, I think the professional or semi-professional photographers, I think we, we start the spark um, or at least we have the ability to start the spark. I don't know if you, follow Eric Stenslin, but he has a, there's a photo he took at a lake in Rocky Mount National Park. Um, and then uh, he, this was years ago, but he had, maybe not that long ago, a couple of years ago, and he shared the location of it, um, not thinking many people would go there because I think it's kind of off the beaten path a little. And then he went back um, not that long after and it was completely destroyed. All the flowers were gone. Like, and I might be, butchering the story a little bit um but basically he was the only person he knew of that knew kind of like where that spot was he had shared it and then it just spread like wildfire wildfire like one person told another person told another person and that's how it spreads like it doesn't take that much you know if you think if you think about like sexually transmitted diseases man it's kind of the same thing <laughs> you know <laughs> Well, I don't like the thought of, of, of photographers starting the, the flow of the sexually transmitted diseases. <laughs> so it's kind of what it is, though, man. If you like, if you do any epidemiology, like that's how it starts is one photographer 
takes a really fantastic photo and then shares it and tells people where it's at. And within a year, it's completely destroyed. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable. Well, with Stensland, I'm sure he was mortified to find that result. And um, Oh, he was. He was. Most of the places that he photographs uh, in the park are so hard to get to. And, I mean, Eric is, is, man, he's insane about some of that stuff. I mean, he'll, he'll hike 10 miles before dawn, you know, just to get a just to get a morning shot. Yeah. Or he'll strap on the uh, the cross country skis and just go and go and go and go. And yeah, go. he's a beast. Uh, <laughs> he is, man. Um, and he's just this guy in the world. But I think that one experience for him actually was a catalyst for him to want to do something about it. I know you recently bumped into him at the NPN meetup in Denver. I don't know if he shared with you uh, the thing that we've been working yeah. on called nature nature first yep but i think that was that was the catalyst for it and we're trying to figure out how to solve the problem and this is our best this is our best guess yeah yeah i'll, I'll probably talk to eric a little bit more about that on uh, i think it's may 3rd he's, he's celebrating his 10th anniversary of, of the gallery up there in estes park so oh yeah very cool trip up there for that yeah but yeah, they did. Uh, Eric and, and a few other people. I forget who else uh, was there. Was uh, is Dave Kingham involved in that? Yeah, David Kingham is, and Scott Bacon. And Bacon, okay. And, yep, and um, yeah. Okay, yeah, and those those are uh, yeah. They there was a, a nice presentation about that. Um, cool. You know, and I, I guess we just. It does start to us. I mean, I guess we're, we're patient zero by, by posting these images. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I'm trying to and, say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> patient zero, that's right. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, there, there just has to be um, different ways for us to post them. Either um, not directly on the social media, but our agents, hey, um, you know, hey, friends, check this out. Um, or um, pay customers, check this out, um, type of thing. And, you know, otherwise, no, give no location. Information. Yeah. And, I, and again, I don't, I'm not trying to say like never disclose locations. I think for me, it's um, be thoughtful, you know, be thoughtful about how you do it, who you do it with. Yeah. Um, what the location can sustain, you know, obviously there's locations that can sustain people knowing about it. Like that's not, um, it's not a black and white thing, you know, it's more of a, you need to do some thoughtful analysis before you just spill the beans. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, Hey, how about difficulty of access? Well, you know, if you've got a a hike six miles each way, um, it's, you know, not everybody's going to do that. That used to deter people a lot more than it has, does now. I mean, I've just the other day, I, or actually yeah, this morning, I saw um, somebody on Instagram posted a picture of the Cosmic Ashtray, which is in Escalante. And it's pretty far off the beaten path. And they were very proud to share, like, this is the Cosmic Ashtray and this is how you get to it. And I'm just like, why are you doing that? Like, uh, stop. <laughs> well, and, and that's, you know, that goes back to the, the secret places thing, because when you want to find some, something that no one else has gone to, or that very few people have, have been, 
you could take a very small amount of information, like cosmic ashtray, and type that in, and somebody will find it. Um, Absolutely. Based on that, so you can you can find what, what are currently secret places that way. They may be they may be tremendously public in another couple of years. Um, so it's it's that you know it's just doing a, an image search, a Google image search, and there are other image search programs, um, right? That will break it down and find yeah. exactly where that is, or who else has taken pictures there, and then you look at their site for other clues that get to these yep. things. Um, that's mm-hmm. that plus Google Earth is how we found uh, this was years ago when, uh, when there were only one or two pictures of it around. How we found the, uh, and I can't even remember it, a, a location high on a mesa in Arizona. I mean, not in Arizona, outside of Moab, high on a mesa. Uh, uh-huh. Tough to get to. But my buddy recognized the uh, the formations beyond. Um, and then he just went on Google Earth and zoomed around, zoomed back from there, and found it. So that's another way to find things. I mean, go on Google Earth. Um, yeah, you know, look at things. I'll tell you the most, the most underrated way of finding locations is reading a book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody reads books anymore. They expect it either to be hand fed to them or they're going to find it really easily on Google. Right. right. Um, but you know, these places that so many people think are secret, they're in books. Look at Laurent Martrez's, you know, photographing the Southwest, you know, um, and he goes through a bunch of those. And then he's expanded that whole, that whole uh, photographing the something or other um, to like international sites. He's got a couple in California, Oregon, that type of thing. But read a book. Right. It, it's amazing. I go through there and I just start flipping through and I, Ending dog earring pages. Oh, next time I'm in the area, I got to go to this place. Right. Or, you know, nobody else has <laughs> done this. Nobody reads a book. No, we def- the people I went with recently, we definitely were consulting that particular book quite a bit. I get. I just have a, I don't know, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with, with that too because, again, like if it wasn't published in a book, a lot of those places probably would still be relatively unknown to some degree, but someone's... I don't know. It's the information age. Like eventually the information is going to get out. So it's, yeah, it's well, tough. I think hiding the information in a, in a book um, <laughs> is an effective way of uh, weeding people out because it's shocking how few people actually, you know, open a book or buy a book or, or uh, like Bob Hitchman's photograph, American newsletter that, that's been out for years and years and, and telling people about these places you know, it's amazing. Uh, just a, a little bit of research. I mean, at least in a book, you can provide some context like, hey, if you go here, this is some of the stuff you need to think about in terms of um, camping or uh, not stepping on cryptobiotic soil or uh, be be aware that, uh, you know, this particular type of rock is very fragile and you should watch how you walk on it. Like at least in a book, you can do that versus on a, I don't know, Instagram. There's typically not that kind of um, information that gets shared with the image. You're right. And even if there was, people wouldn't read it. They just look at the 
<laughs> right. Uh, in- Instagram people just look at the picture and go from there. So yeah, uh, no, that that's true. You can uh, you can certainly convey more than just an image or a pretty picture. You can in a book you can talk about the environment and uh, and what specifically people should be uh, aware of when they're right. visiting or or you know traveling to that location. Right. Yeah, I don't know if you had heard um, they're 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 planning on paving a hole in the rock road. Which, really? uh, yeah, which I don't know. I feel like that's just going to make it even more accessible to the masses and tour buses and stuff of that nature. I think I think that's going to be a huge mistake too. Yeah, yeah, I'm not excited about that. Um, I, I I just think the more difficult it is to get there, um, the more likely it is to be preserved because the people who are going to go through that are serious photographers and they know more they they're there to appreciate the beauty of the location and appreciate what that location has to offer as opposed to just go and you know get the picture that they saw on Instagram. right yeah definitely well <clears throat> maybe that's a good place for us to maybe transition a little bit into talking a little bit about um, photographing icons and comp stomping I know those are typically very related topics. And I recently had a uh, podcast listener um, and a Patreon supporter. They left a, a review of the podcast on iTunes and uh, it, it was a great review. Um, I just, uh, I kind of wanted, I feel like you might be the person to bring this perspective. I kind of wanted to maybe bring it back around to the other perspective that they're talking about. Um, and I, I kind of want to just read a snippet, uh, of their, of their, of their reviews. So they said, uh, my, my one point of contention would be the tone of the conversation. Sometimes I understand that there are a lot of lousy people, which we just talked a lot about, uh, more, (laughs) more specifically photographers who don't respect nature and comp stomp other photographers work. Well, I think this is an important topic. The podcast discussion often leaves the listener feeling guilty or unwelcome, which parenthetically, that's not my intention. Um, I've heard this through two fellow photographers who also listen to the podcast. I think the conversation about nature conservation should provide encouragement, motivation, and education. If somebody needs to comp stomp 100 photos before they produce one original, I think that is their right and their journey to take. Um, And they go on and and I, I agree. Like, I don't personally want to discourage people at all from getting out there and and, and uh, taking photos. That's definitely never been my intention about having these types of conversations. So, what is kind of your perspective on on those topics? Um, I, I think the people who complain about others comp stomping, uh, well, quite frankly, are uh, are elitist. I, I think okay. that you know if. if it depends on what your goal is with photography. You know, if you want to just take pictures, beautiful pictures, what difference does it make that somebody else is taking that picture? Um, just go in there and, and do your best. Take that shot. Um, you know, these things, these things actually can be good learning tools as well. And I, oh, for I, sure. I'll use as an example Mesa Arch. Okay. Everybody, well... Many people are familiar with Mesa Arch. Um, you know, 
I visited. I have visited that location about how, I don't know times twenty, probably at least twenty times. Um, and that was the place where I really learned photography. Um, you know, you see these beautiful pictures years ago of of this this place. You know, Mesa Arch. It's beautiful. You know, you look out, you look through this this little rock formation, and, and you see. You know, the LaSalle Mountains, the sun cresting over the LaSalles, you know, with your, your sun star image. You've got the uh, Washerwoman Arch off to the left and the, the canyon down below um, that contrasts with everything else because it's dark and then has that black or that uh, white rim around it. And you think, God, that's a beautiful shot. And you go there and you take the picture. And then you look at the one that inspired you and you think, oh, my God. That's totally different from what I saw. And, you know, comparing it to that. Um, <laughs> and I use Mesa Arch as an example because that's, you know, photography is about light, right? Angle, quality, that type of thing of, of light. Well, with Mesa Arch, the sun, which is what everybody gets there for, sunrise, right, um, is going to come up in a different location based on the time right. of year. Um, sometimes it comes up to the right of the LaSalle Mountains that are in the background. Sometimes it comes up over the LaSalle's. And sometimes, uh, for a brief period, it comes up to the left of the LaSalle's. And so you're learning, hey, the light, the sun moves. <laughs> and, you know, uh, depending on what time of year I'm here, it may be different. <laughs> right. Um, you learn about composition. Hey, do I want to include the sun, or do I want it before, or do I want before the sunrise, or do I want it when the sun is behind the arch, um, the top of the arch, because that way everything's lit up, but you don't have the sun shining face. Um, do I want to include more of the mountains? in the background mm -hmm. in the sky because it's a beautiful sky or do I want to take the two thirds and do it down while still showing those areas, but you know, putting more of a focus on the, you know, the Canyon below. Um, do I want to shoot this as, you know, a long pano or do I want to just shoot that left side um, with the glow and have it, you know, do a kind of a frame in a frame of, of washerwoman arch. Um, and by the way, um, uh, you know, where, what else can I shoot here? There are some great shots in that area, right, right near there that nobody mm -hmm. goes to. They just go and take the Mesa Arch shots. So you can learn a lot about, about photography, composition, your tastes, and, you know, natural light, um, by going right. to the same location over and over. And if it happens to be an iconic location, well, more power to you. Um, but there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that, especially it depends also on, on why you're shooting. I mean, mm -hmm. are you shooting because you need to fill your, your gallery? Um, are you shooting to sell the images? Because, you know, what photographers think is a good shot versus what normal people will, 
will buy are two very different things most of the time. <laughs> yeah, that's why I don't ever sell photos. Yeah. <laughs> because you have to have that mindset. They want those iconic shots. They've seen them before. Um, right. And right. that's what they want. So you take the yeah, you take the standard iconic shot because it's a beautiful picture. Hell, it might even be the the image that got you into photography in the first place. You wanted to see that location. Um, you know, so just because you go to an iconic location, you don't necessarily have to, to comp stomp. Um, but that's, you know, that's part of it. But you can be at that location and, and put your own interpretation on it. Mm-hmm. So a couple things. One, I feel like there's two different kinds of comp stopping. Um, and I want to, I personally want to be very clear about my beliefs and thoughts on the two different kinds of comp stomping. I think there's comp stomping where um, people are using it as a learning tool and um, they're visiting a place uh, that they've seen before and it's a very popular spot and they really want to get that shot for their own for their own website or for to sell it or to whatever. Um, I think I personally, I mean, I feel like unless you're some kind of freak of nature, uh, like a guy Tal or something, um, you're probably all of us have done that. Um, and there's definitely nothing wrong with that at all. Um, and the second kind of comp stomping is the kind that kind of just makes me kind of scratch my head and I don't know, like it makes me raise my eyebrow a little bit. And that's where, uh, very well established photographers, um, see a photo from one of their contemporaries that is extremely unique, uh, that they have never seen before and has probably has never been shot before by anybody else. And they go out of their way to find an exact replica of that shot, like almost down. Like if you compare the two shots, like they're almost identical in terms of light and composition, everything is exactly the same. And then to take it a step further, um, they don't make any mention of their contemporary at all. And that I feel like is a completely different kind of uh, process and mentality than the first type of comp stomping that we were talking about. I, that, I would totally I, I didn't even consider that. Um, I was thinking yeah. all in the, the former category and none in the latter. The latter, that's just, that's reprehensible from a, uh, a professional. Well, I, I know a few people that do that. Um, I'm not going to say their names on the podcast. Um, and I think they're probably perfectly cool people. They're probably really fun to hang out with. They're, they're very good photographers, but like every time I see them do it and they do it a lot, I'm like, wow, that's really interesting um, that you did that. So that's the kind of comp stomping that I think is bizarre. Um, And then uh, the other thing I wanted to make mention of just kind of as a counterpoint to the whole, I guess, comp stomping in general and photographing icons thing in general is that uh, I think that you know, cause you had said, I think it's a little bit elitist. Um, and I, I totally understand that. Um, but I think if you talk to the people that kind of make those statements, uh, I think the reason why they make those statements is because they teach a lot of workshops and they teach a lot of, um, post-processing and they have a lot of people ask them questions all the time. Like, how can I become a better photographer and things like that? And then they go look at their, their work and it's all, the same as everyone else's. It's not original work. And I think um, 
the point that they're often trying to make, I think, is that if you want to, you know, if you've established yourself, uh, you've kind of learned all the tips and tricks, um, you know, your processing's solid, uh, you have a good grasp of composition and the rule of, you know, all the, you know, all the tools in our tool bag, I feel like they're, you know, that's kind of the next thing. Like, okay, if you're really ready to advance yourself as a photographer, you probably want to consider trying to take photos of things that haven't, you know, of scenes and things like that, that haven't been taken before, because that is how you're going to eventually set yourself apart. If that is your goal. And if it's not your goal, then who cares, right? Like you said, if all you want to do is, um, go around and get the same shots everyone else has already. Like there's nothing wrong with that, but um, don't ask you like expect the answer. If you're going to ask, how do I become better? Like it's don't take the same photos everyone else has already taken. Right. It, 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 yes, exactly. Um, and, and you know what? I, I think, um, I, I think there, there may be people who, who maybe a, a third category of comps founders. I think those are people who there may be a category of people who just aren't that creative, but who still want a nice shot. Um, because oh, for sure. I, I, <laughs> I see so many people who are, you know, former engineers or, or you know, in some kind of technical industry um, in photography and, and they're, they're great with their settings on their cameras and, and it's all clear and in focus and, you know, perfect exposure right but there's no heart in, in a lot of images um there's no there's none of the photographer mm-hmm. himself there's no heart there's no emotion there's no there's no soul to those images and and i think that's because composition is really the hardest thing about photography for people to learn um oh 100 well in post-processing i think those those uh, are the uh, two okay yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I'm terrible at yeah. post processing. That's why I display so few <laughs> pictures. I, I'm just dreadful at it. Um, <laughs> well, I, yeah, but you're a film photographer too. So, like, it's different. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's true too. I, I do as much in camera as I, as I possibly can. There's usually not a whole lot yeah. otherwise um, to do. And, and I definitely, uh, I definitely still shoot that way. You know, like, if yeah. on my six by seven, I only had 10, you know, 10 frames per roll. I, I still shoot that way. So I'll come back from a great weekend right. and maybe have you know, 40 shots total. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the creative side is tough, um, is, is really difficult for people. And I think it's also difficult for people to learn. Um, you can learn it, but it, it takes a lot of work. And I think that the, the people, a lot of people would rather focus on something more concrete, um, like, yeah, post-processing or something. And I guess I'm the exact opposite. I uh, have done nothing with post-processing, uh, but spent all my time on the composition. So, Yeah, and I think earlier in the conversation, you, you kind of alluded to what I think is really the crux of all this. Um, and it's not a, it's not good or bad or it just is and i think i think one of the largest underpinnings to all of these topics is hidden in human motivation and and really what is motivating people 
um, individually to do what they're doing. Because obviously we all take photos for slightly different reasons. Um, and we all don't take certain photos for lots of different reasons. Um, and I think those two variables combine to kind of help paint a story for each individual as to maybe why they're so focused on getting replicas of other people's photos versus other people who may be more motivated to try to get unique work that, um, that is only that there is theirs uniquely. And I think, like I said, like there's nothing wrong with either one. Uh, it's just a different motivation and a different way of approaching things. Um, I guess for me, um, and maybe I'm just, I think a lot of it's just photographers. Like we get tired of seeing people's photos and like, I don't know about you, but like I'll scroll through Facebook or Instagram or whatever and, or five, whatever, Flickr, Fiverr PX, whatever it is. Um, and you know, you'll see a really well executed shot of a, of a location that's been shot a thousand times and it's, it doesn't do anything for you anymore. And maybe that's a uniquely, uh, photography photographer problem. (laughs) Uh, you know, I think the, the general public maybe doesn't look as look at photos as much as we do, but uh, I think maybe that's where some of that comes out too. It's like, show me something different, please, you know? Right, and we are that way because we've seen the same shots. We've been to the same locations, um, you know, it, it, and we get a little bit jaded. And don't, uh, we may not quite appreciate that image for what it is. Hey, did this guy shoot this, you know, with a unique, uh, set of shadows um, or a more interesting sky. That's that's what always kills me is the sky. I, you know, I, I, all the session shooting, it's pure blue and there's never any darn clouds in there. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so you raise a point, Matt. Why do you take landscape photographs? Man, that's, I feel like for me, the answer to that question is actually uh, there's not just one answer. There's several different reasons. First of all, I'd be, I would be the first to admit that, um, there's a great deal of my ego wrapped up in my photography. There always has been, um, I'm an only child and, um, I'm a very accomplishment driven individual. And so, uh, getting a photograph that I'm proud of, um, makes me feel good about myself. Um, I'm just going to be honest. Right. right? right. And I hope, Hopefully, I'm, I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, hopefully, no, you get something positive. There's no good <laughs> or bad. I, I don't believe in good or bad. Um, things are what they are. And, you know, either yeah. something may be more, I, I don't know. But I mean, it's not, there's no good or bad. It's just everybody's got their reasons and everybody, you know, all yeah. things exist as they are. Now, you know. now to extra- to expand upon that a little bit, back to what we were just talking about and I'll, I'll further answer your question more too. Uh, I, I personally found that that, that kind of, um, I don't know, for lack of a better way of putting it, that response mechanism where I felt good about the photo or I felt good about what I had accomplished. I personally have found, I feel better, um, I, or I get a stronger effect of that for me personally from images that haven't been taken before um, or of images that might be kind of my own unique twist on a place or a location or whatever. So that's partially why what motivates me 
to want to not just shoot icons um, or to shoot the same shot everyone else has, although I still do that from time to time because, I mean, let's be honest, you go to some of these spots and it's just like you got to get that yeah. shot because it's so I good. I mean, that's why they're iconic uh, shots, right? And there's, I mean, to begin with because right. they're spectacular. Exactly. <laughs> and it, Yeah. Um, like I was just at White Pocket uh, not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, and there's this very uh, specific composition that my buddy showed me that he's gotten before. And then he, I had never seen it before, but he explained that it's a pretty popular composition. And I was like, well, I'm going to get that composition too. This is crazy. It was just too good. It was just like, it was just that good of a composition that I had to try to get it myself. Um, and it, and it wasn't to satisfy my needs or wants to be unique or authentic. Yeah. It's just because I thought it'd be, it was awesome, you know? So that's, so that's part of it for me. And then, um, you know, the other part for me is I really like the challenge of photography. I think it, you know, it stimulates your creative side, but also stimulates your, um, your, your technical side of your brain. And I think it's a nice fun pairing of those two things. Um, I also personally really like to pair, um, photography with athleticism. Like I really, enjoy getting photographs of um from high mountains in colorado that perhaps not a lot of people have been to or have shot from before i've um again that that's more of accomplishment driven photography than necessarily are you familiar with jack brower of course yeah absolutely i mean he's a sick son of a gun yeah i mean i think jack uh jack jack brower and kane kane engelbert are probably have been my two most influential photographers for me because they both uh, kind of have that s- same drive in some ways. So, um, and then I guess the other, the other piece of it, I mean, I am a little bit motivated by money. Like I would love to make money from photos and selling photos, but it's definitely not a primary focus for me because, um, I just personally feel like in order to make that really work, you have to, there's a lot of things you have to do that are for me and I hopefully we'll get into this a little but for me it's a little bit unsavory some of the stuff you need to do to market yourself as a photographer well I think um I don't know we can talk about that later but We're definitely going to talk about that. Um, <laughs> we we didn't have that on our list but I I had it on mine and I put a little arrow and circled it and all that. <laughs> cool. Yeah. yeah and then I guess um I don't know. It's fun, man. It's, and I love being out in nature and yeah. like, there's nothing like it. So I don't know. Those are my motivations. Um, but it, you can see like what motivates you as a photographer definitely changes the way you take photos. Right. Right. Absolutely. It, it determines the way you yeah. take photos. Right. Right. Exactly. And what, what you take photos of and, and everything else. So, yeah. Yeah. And what, what interests you in terms of subjects and all kinds of stuff. So, um, I think, I think that does help explain a lot of the stuff that we see, um, for, for better or worse. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, let's shift gears a little bit and, um, let's talk about workshops. I know that, uh, this is a topic that comes up every once in a while on the podcast and it's one that hasn't come up recently. And, uh, one of the things you said you wanted to talk about was, um, kind of workshops, how to find a good one and then what to expect. Cause you, I think what you had mentioned to me was you feel like, uh, 
people may not be getting what they think they're getting. So what are your, what are your thoughts? Well, it depends. Okay. So let's talk about finding a workshop. Um, yeah. You know, somebody who takes great pictures is not necessarily a great workshop leader. Okay. Someone who can help their workshop participants take great pictures. Right. Is a workshop is a good workshop leader. So, um, you know, when you're looking at a workshop, you want to find out, you want to talk to other people who have been on that work on, on workshops with this person, especially recently. Um, so if they don't have uh, you know, a bunch of uh, testimonials or something like that, or even if they do, you might want to ask them, Hey, um, are there any uh, recent, you know, workshop attendees who, uh, who you think would be willing to discuss, you know, the workshop um, with me? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a huge difference. I mean, it's a huge difference. There are people who are extremely well known for their images and have made un- ungodly amounts of money who promote workshops and really don't have any interaction with the people, with the client. Yeah, I've heard like, um, I think maybe John Fielder is that way. Yeah, I don't even know if he's doing it anymore. I mean, I had heard that he got really grumpy and was testing with people, and, and so people stopped. Going, yeah. I don't know. Um, and Right. But yeah, to your point, that is kind of an interesting thing. Like, um, And I'll put in a little plug for, for my, um, my professional mentor in, in photography. He's an East Coast photographer named Tony Sweet. And, man, his workshops... There's nothing better. Uh, of course, you will end up, you will always be hungry because there's never time to stop and eat. And you will always be tired because you don't have enough time at night to sleep. <laughs> <So> <laughs> you're always either in the field or in a, in a classroom session, you know, you know, going through, uh, going through analysis of the images from, that's cool. from the most recent field thing. And that's, that's actually where you learn quite frankly, Absolutely. Is in, the, uh, in the, the, the breakdown sessions. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it always, um, yeah, oh my God, it, one of the workshops I done 10 years ago, we actually formed a revolt and just, you know, everybody's driving in their own cars and, and Tony's driving and we're following him and then we just turned off into a restaurant because we hadn't eaten all day. And it was like eight o'clock at night. We're like, <laughs> yeah, dude, man, we're hungry. Let's stop because now we got to keep going, you know? <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it's people like that who really care about their, their clients um, who, who are the best ones out there. They, they have to be able to communicate the information they know and be willing to communicate that and, and quite frankly, enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it can't be, it can't feel like you're like annoying them or whatever. Right, yeah. and and that's that's a great lead to the next issue I wanted to bring up about is you know you find a lot of workshops these days apparently where the workshop leader brings their own gear and is taking pictures alongside. You. Yeah, what if they're if they're taking their own images? Who's who's working with you and, and looking through your viewfinder right. and talking about you know composition and, and things like that. Right. Um, and how comfortable are you going to be to ask for help if, you know, 
if the, the, the famous leader is, uh, is lining up his own shots, you know, and jeez, uh, uh, say it again. Uh, and with Tony, he was the same way. It, not the same way as that. He, he did, he would go out and take his pictures the two days before the workshop started, which allowed him to not only get his photography out of the way, but also to scout the areas and make sure that, you know, sure. nothing had changed or that, you know, or that, yeah, absolutely. Know, what was best. So, um, you know, if you're, if your leader is either very familiar because he's a local or she, he or she, um, is a local or visits that place regularly, um, that's really helpful. Um, they know the place. Otherwise, they need to be out there scouting. Right. You know, uh, I always wonder about that when people come in, say, from Michigan and head down to, uh, you know, to Colorado or something like that, or the, the Four Corners area. I think right. you come down once a year. Are you are you scouting as, as you're leading your your clients out there? Um, you know, I think there's a lot of that that goes on. Actually, I do too, and it's it's unfortunate because conditions change, especially out west with with every flood. You know, it, things change. Yeah, or like a road could be closed, or all kinds of, st- or a gate could be up that you didn't know about. It's all kinds of stuff. Yeah, that's happened a lot, quite frankly, to me. <laughs> Keep yeah, out there and, and oh, one yeah, year, this road was open last year. Yeah, there wasn't a gate last year, and now there's this whole gate in the fence. <laughs> What's up with that? Um, and right. and you need to know that before you show up with your clients. Um, so I, I would want to hear or see works from the from other clients uh, or you know past clients in a workshop um, before uh-huh. I before I. Show somebody. I want to know how good a photography instructor they are, not how good a photographer. Well, I think it's it's hard to find people that are good at all of those things. So, like, um, some of my favorite photographers, like, they're great instructors, I think, and stuff like that. But they may not be as good at, like, the logistics or the um, kind of, I guess, kind of the, some of the stuff you're talking about, like, scouting and stuff like that. Like, they might not pay as much attention to that because they are so good with their images that I think they, you know, they can kind of, kind of, I don't know, depend on it to some degree. Yeah. Uh, but I think you almost need like that whole, whole picture of a person who can teach, can teach you good stuff, can also critique your images, but also has thought about all of those logistics things. And I think it's, I don't know, unless you're full-time workshop leader, I think that's a really tough thing to find out there because, um, you know, if you've got a side job or maybe workshops isn't your full-time thing, like it's really hard. I feel like to like find the time to do all those things. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, um, you develop local contacts, you get on the phone and you start calling, you know, the park service or the Navajo nation right, or whatever the case may be. And just keep dialing and, until you get the, uh, the current information, because especially as you and I know, when you head down to, the, the Navajo reservation, you know, Page, Arizona, and stuff around there, that changes every year. Access, cost, um, licensing, all that, that stuff changes every year. And so, at, at what seems to us to be a whim, but, you know, it's, you know, determined by the chapter house um, and, or up at Window Rock. And uh, if you go planning to, to hit this one, 
slot or see this one overlook or check out this group of rock formations. Um, and suddenly, you know, they've decided, somebody's decided that they're going to, you can only do it on a, you know, a work a tour with them or nobody's ever going to be allowed in there. There are a lot of places that are like that. Yeah. Could you imagine showing up to a place like that with like 10 students and you didn't know that? And then God, how embarrassing would that be? Oh man. Oh God. Yeah. That would be horrible. I, I mean, <laughs> you know, talk about logistics. I had to bail out somebody who's a locally, not locally here, but more Arizona famous photographer um, at a spot that, is known for deep, deep sand at the very last stretch of, of getting the location. They uh-huh. had two-wheel drive vans. Oops. And they were bogged down. And all their people were standing around while they were trying to figure out how to get them out of there. Ah, oh, that's terrible. Well, growing up in the Midwest, I, you know, and dealing with that kind of snow, and that horribly, horrible traction snow back there, um, it was easy for me to just kind of rock the vehicle, rock the vehicle, get it going and, and move it out um, for them. Um, but they were just, everybody was just standing around trying to figure out what to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, why, oh that's why I don't you have know. any desire to be a full-time workshop leader myself. Like there's just so many things that can go wrong that are out of your control. Yeah. Even if you are super well-planned, like, oh. Well, there's the weather. Yeah, like. That's the obvious one, right? But there could be car trouble. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that could go wrong. I personally um, really enjoy doing workshops because I love teaching. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's it's tough to to build up the following and and, you know fill your workshops. Yeah, yeah, it's um it's tough. I I and it just seems like everyone and their mom is doing a workshop these days. They are. And it's because as you and I discussed uh, previously, um, because it's really the, the best way to make money in photography now. I mean, you know, the stock photography is not, is not making money for people anymore. I would go online and, and buy an image for five, five cents or something like that per image. And, and, uh, and print sales are, are, few and far between it's tough you, you got to build up a following there too um you can do local seminars or you know photography workshops or and, and i guess i should distinguish between a workshop and a tour a tour is when the guy you're paying your guide or your leader um him or her to get you to the right spot at the right time you know, hopefully under the right conditions. Um, and they may be photographing with you, uh, but they're not, they're not there to provide instruction for you so much as to get you there. And I mean, I feel like the best workshop leaders can do both, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, um, so I, I guess, I don't know. I don't probably don't have a lot of time to talk about it, but there's some, I don't know. I personally have no desire to go on a workshop from anybody. Like, I just don't. It doesn't appeal I, to me you know, at all. And I have had just great experiences on workshops. And I'll, I'll still take somebody's workshop if it's an area that I've wanted to go to but haven't been to yet. Um, yeah. Because 
Maybe I just need to try it and be like, oh, that was actually kind of Yeah, cool. it is kind of cool. I mean, one, you're going to learn new things regardless. I right. mean, surrounded with those, right. with other people and with a professional photographer responding to all those people, you're going, you're bound to improve your photography. Another thing is, yeah. and this is what always amazed me about workshops. You got six, eight, 10, 12 people all in the same general location. When you're reviewing images later in the day, nobody, nobody took the same picture. Yeah, it's pretty cool, right? It's amazing. I mean, the photography is is, is as different as the people, and everybody sees that something different in the same location. And it's really, I, I think that's fascinating. I think it's so cool. Um, and to hear, you know, why or what this person saw and why they took that composition. You think, God, you know, I used to think I was a really good photographer. But, <laughs> I, <you know? laughs> but this person shows, took the same picture at the same spot. It's, it's totally different. It's much better. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I totally know what you mean. Like most uh, of my group trips have just been with uh, people that I know or people I loosely know. And, we, you know, you tend to do that at the end of the day. And it's always like, wow. You got something really cool that I didn't even see. That's so cool. Yeah, and you were standing shoulder to shoulder half the time. Right. <laughs> Isn't that funny how that works? Uh, it's, it's amazing. Um, I will tell you, here's the drawback of, of workshops. Is you always end up leaving with this huge shopping list of gear and accessories that you just have to get. <laughs> because you've, right. you've, you've been exposed to all these other people's gear and, and you're like, oh, man, I want that. Right, this would be great. Yeah, I need that one. You know, or, yeah. oh my god, you know, I'm getting on, you know, B and H right now and, and placing a big order. Um, uh, so that could be a little tough um, tempering it, but it's kind of nice to go and have somebody else, you know, do all the work to get you to these locations. And you go out, and you just don't worry about it. You take some pictures, learn a few things, take some more pretty pictures, learn a few more. things somebody else is driving you around or leading the way and, and they've done the plan for the early shoots and the late shoots and maybe a day shoot and it, it's kind of nice just to relax and, and settle into that um that and, and yeah although i don't know maybe i'm weird i actually like that part okay well then yeah maybe it's not for you like i like sitting around and like talking to my buddies about hey what do you think it's gonna be like over here hey let's Maybe we could try this spot or I don't know. I think that that stuff can yeah, be kind of fun. Absolutely. You know? it, it can. Um, yeah. That's true. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap it up with a couple more questions. So, so, so based on the name of the podcast, F stop, collaborate and listen, what advice do you have for other photographers? Well, um, my, the thing that I think makes the most successful photographer relates to both collaborate and listen. I have found that the best photographers have a sense of humility. They will accept uh, criticism uh, on their image. And if somebody says, Hey, you know, I would have done it this way, or I would have done it that way. Not get defensive about it. Um, say, Hey, you know, I hadn't thought about that. And then you do think about it. And if it makes sense for your type of photography or for what you want to get across, you put that in your toolbox. If it doesn't, 
you know, you don't. But listen to other people. Um, so many photographers are afraid to show their work to people because they think that everyone else is taking better pictures than them. And, you know, join a local photography club or two or three. Um, it's tough to find some honest critique online, but there are uh, groups and, and things like that, that that will give honest critique as opposed to saying, hey, beautiful shot, love this, two thumbs up, or, you know, something like that. Um, but listen, listen to what other people have to say. Even it doesn't mean you have to follow what they say, but, you know, think about it. And, um, and that's kind of where the collaboration comes in, work with people. Um, you know, listen to them, provide them some advice that maybe, you know, in a gentle way that, that maybe they, uh, you know, could benefit from. And, uh, if they decide that that works with their style of photography, then great. Um, but be humble about it. I mean, you know, the extreme example of that, of course, is Eric Stensland, who's, you know, the most humble guy in the world. Uh, well, San Marino is a lot like that too. Come to think of it, um, um, so some of your best photographers are that way. Uh, but you know, just don't be defensive. Get have a sense of humility and accept um, other people's comments, or, or at least listen to them, and then decide whether or not um, it makes sense for you. Yeah, um, I think that goes for um, not just like the image itself, but like different techniques you used in Photoshop or whatever to create the final image. I feel like pe some people get super defensive if you say like, hey, why did you warp that mountain to make it look so pointy? Like it's already looks good enough. You didn't have to make it look like uh, El Chalton in Patagonia. Like it looks fine as it is. Um, or like you didn't have to composite the Milky Way into that spot. You could have just taken the stars that were actually there. Um, it's funny, like people get really defensive when you start questioning some of their post-processing techniques, especially when it comes to altering reality. Oh yeah, and uh, and it's like it's kind of the same thing though. Like it's all people are providing you with feedback. Um, you should be open to it. Um, you should under, you should try to listen to why they're giving you that feedback. That's important. It yeah. doesn't mean you, it doesn't mean you have to change what you're doing, but maybe consider that what they have to say might, might make you a better photographer in the future or might make people appreciate your artwork more. Um, so often I hear people say, you know, well, that's my art. I can do whatever I want. Why are you? why are you being so crit critical of my art? And it's like, <laughs> dude, um, if you thought about it as your art, you wouldn't be so fucking defensive about it. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's totally true, man. <laughs> like, it'd be like, um, I don't know. Like if someone went up to a famous musician and was like, Hey, I really don't like how you, uh, do the chorus this way like it's repetitive and boring or whatever i don't think they would say oh well it's my art and i'll just do whatever i want they'd probably be like oh that's good feedback thank you 
you know? Yeah, or, or let's bounce that around, you know? You know, hey, I could see the point you're making. I don't necessarily see it that way for myself, but hey, let's 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 bounce something around here and, and you know, and, and try something different, especially with musicians. I mean, they're always, you know, creating all kinds of different bridges and this and that and, and uh, yeah. you know, really open to that. Why shouldn't we be as photographers? Totally. If it's about the art, then you should be open to having a discussion about it. If that, That's why I don't necessarily buy that whole argument most of the time. I think it's more like it's ego-driven or marketing-driven stuff that they're just trying to get more likes or shares or whatever on social media. They're not doing it because it's art. They're doing it to get attention. Um, yeah. And that's they know deep down that's what you're questioning. And that's what bothers them. Yeah. <laughs> that's my, that's my theory. That's my theory. That's a good one. Um, I'm obviously the probably doesn't apply to everyone, but, um, if you're super defensive, if someone asks you why you did something in a photo, um, maybe you should start questioning why you did it in the first place. That's a good point. Especially if they're questioning it. I mean, if somebody says that you shouldn't have done it this way and, or you're a lousy photographer for doing it this way, that's one thing. Um, that's, that's, kind of an attack uh, but you could still be humble and you know draw out what that person thought and maybe get, get something from it but if somebody says hey why why did you do it this way um hey that's they're just curious you know that they, they just want to know and um and then you you go from there with it um and i have had that with people before i, I said and i've even started with you know, man, you know, I've seen your work online and it's it's so consistently phenomenal that uh, a somewhat slightly less than phenomenal picture like this one or, or the, the way I view this one is it raises this question for me. What why did you, you know, do this or why did you put the horizon at the 50 50 50 mark, you know? Um, that's, that's one that drives me crazy. Cause then you don't know whether they, the, the foreground or the background is your point of interest. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what, what am I supposed to focus on here? If, if the, the photographer focuses on equally on those two things, then the viewer is too. And, and it's, you just lose a lot of the impact. But, um, so I asked somebody that one time, um, Tony Kuiper. Um, do you know Tony or no? Yeah, yeah, TK panel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, years ago, when he had first started putting that, that stuff together, um, I said, you know, we were there were a few of us at a at a dinner, and he, he was showing some of his shots, and and I asked him a question that, that could be you know taken the wrong way, but I said, Tony, does it really look like that? And he says, it does to me. There you go. <laughs> I thought, all right. <laughs> okay, man. <laughs> it's your vision. You you put it on paper, and, and that's that. Um, uh, and, and then I got to say, the opposite end of the humility thing. Two of my friends, one of them who uh, has had a number of books published by a national publisher, um, and, another, and the other one who's just a great photographer who just never shares his work, um, were at Chaco Canyon and they were going into Pueblo Benito 
And they were going in at a time where they had calculated correctly that the light was going to be there for the type of shot they wanted. Right. You know, they were going to get the right, the right clothes and stuff like this. Well, as they approach it, this guy pops out and he says, oh, you're too late. The good light's already done. You can trust me because I'm the best-selling photographer in Colorado. There's no point in going further. <laughs> I've, I've seen that a lot. It's, it's, it's really funny when people do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, you talk to Sarah and you know people do that to her all the time because she's female and she's tiny. And yeah, and she's like, well. Everything else, so people are not. Right. And then she's like, well, if you knew anything about my photography, it's that, like, I don't depend on that for my good photos. So, bye. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. She's, she, her war stories are, are just horrible of, of the way she's been treated in the field. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it just remain humble. Ask, you know, ask somebody if you can offer an opinion or, or ask them specifically about their image are they comfortable with that you know just that's why whenever people that's why i just tell people my photos suck and that way when they're like oh i think your photos are terrible i'd be like yeah i told you they were <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? and you asked me to prove it in here <laughs> yeah so there i just diffuses the whole conversation like yeah i told you they were so why are we what you're good yeah. man <laughs> That's great. Well, so who would you recommend for the podcast? And I feel like you've already mentioned uh, these folks, but maybe just kind of remind us. And okay, maybe- and I've got one more to add. Okay, so cool. um, I would suggest the guys who were providing this these, this location information and all that before the internet. Um, uh-huh. uh, people have done it forever, like Robert Hitchman. Uh, he's publishing the photograph newsletter. I don't know since the eighties, uh, mid eighties, maybe it, it's all, it's a long time. Um, and you don't, yeah. Back when I started, you used to send in a check and then he'd, he'd mail you one every month. <laughs> and what was it? What was the name of, what was the name of his newsletter? Uh, the photograph America newsletter. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and he's got that, he's got that thing down to, uh, to he'll tell you what seasons uh, he'll, he'll locate some places based on seasons, um, geography, you know, different things like that. Uh, um, and then there's, of course, Laurent Martrez, who, you know, his books have, have come a long way from the time he used to send out little C's with them um, so that you could get an idea for the area. Um, he, you know, everybody, you know, I think we all, as a landscape photographer, owe a lot to uh, Laurent Martrez and to Robert Hillman. Um, and I think it would be great, uh, you know, great on the podcast. If you can get him, he's so busy all the time, it, it may be impossible. But I would recommend uh, Tony Sweet. Um, just a phenomenal uh, photographer, very creative, and, um, and an amazing workshop leader. Um, so you end up having to book his stuff a year and a half or more out uh, because <laughs> it's that much in demand. 
Also, do you know Adam Shillow? I do. Um, um, in fact, him, he and I, have, we're, we're trying to find a date. So, yeah. And oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got... He's a super cool dude, and he's got some really cool stuff coming up. He's, um, I think he lives in, well, I know he lives in Arizona somewhere, and it, he shoot he photographs the Grand Canyon like crazy. Um, but yeah, he's awesome. You know, he was the artist in residence in the Grand Canyon for at least two yeah, years. Yeah, he's he's really cool. I love his stuff too. And talk about humility. Um, he's he's a very humble guy. Yeah, I was like, hey, man, we need to get you on the podcast. And he's like, oh, I don't think it'd be that interesting. I'm like, dude, seriously? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, there, there are very few people, if any, who know more about the, the, the Grand Canyon uh, as it is these days. I know, right? <laughs> than, than Adam. Yeah, tell him that Kaz told, told you that, uh, you know. He's got to get on there. Cool, cool. I will. <laughs> no, we're definitely working on it. I think um, he's got a lot of stuff going on right now with the park service. They've got – he's uh, – I can't remember what he told me, but it's it's really cool. I think he's going to be teaching some classes to some kids and stuff there. So, oh, that'd be great. Um, yeah, it's, and he's – yeah, he's got some cool stuff that I, I'm hoping to have him explain for him to for himself on the podcast. So, but yeah, he's got a lot of cool stuff going okay, on. So. Yeah. I'd, I'd strongly recommend him, especially, uh, I mean, just as a photographer, but especially for his, his vast knowledge of, uh, of the grand Canyon. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Cool. Well, Kaz, man, this has been uh, really fun. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did. Abs- so. Well, that's good. Um, I, I, be upset if you're like that wasn't very fun at all <laughs> yeah man, that totally sucked but i uh, i gritted my teeth and made my way through it all <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what the listeners are probably thinking yeah yeah uh, yeah unfortunately you're probably right <laughs> all right well thanks to charles for joining us on the podcast for an awesome discussion and for offering those different viewpoints I really love hearing other people's opinions on these topics because it really helps shape and refine my own opinions and belief systems. And I think if we're all open-minded, like having these conversations can really expand how we think about the world. Uh, and I personally really value that. So I hope you do too. I hope, I hope you enjoyed the discussion. Um, all right. Well, I want to move right into thanking our latest uh, patron for supporting the podcast. It's one of my favorite things to do on the podcast. So thank you to Ricardo uh, de Cunha. Hopefully I didn't butcher your name there. Uh, he joined in at the $5 a month level. Uh, thank you so much, Ricardo. It is people like you that are helping sustain this crazy idea. So thank you so much. Uh, you too can support the podcast. Just head over to patreon.com slash fstop and listen. I'm really excited for our patron only Google Hangout tomorrow for folks that have pledged in at the $20 a month level and higher. It'll be a lot of fun. It is your way as patrons to help guide the show and to chat about various hot topics in the landscape photography community. And who knows, maybe uh, the conversations we have there will spark me to maybe want to have you on the show. So it's a really great way to engage with the show and, and, and play a part in helping shape the future. So thanks to those that are pledging it at that level and hope you find value in those hangouts. Well, last week, I announced that we are doing a weekly photo theme for patrons of the podcast. 
The idea is really simple. Uh, patrons submit their photographs based on the theme of the week, and I pick my favorite submission and talk about it on the podcast and on Patreon. So we'll try this out and see if people like it. Uh, last week's theme was trees in spring, um, and I got a little bit of feedback that uh, maybe we could do, do themes that weren't so um, dependent on what hemisphere you lived in, which I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome feedback. So we'll do that in the future. Uh, there were some really great submissions this week from Mark uh, Klafschenkel, James Bakavoy, William Nurse, uh, Ryan Shanahan, Joseph Doherty, Jackson Frischman, and Bruce Couch. Uh, they were all really awesome. They matched the theme super awesome, and I just really liked looking at them, so thanks so, so much for submitting those. Uh, this week, my favorite submission was from uh, Joseph Doherty. Um, here's what he said. I shot, I shot it this morning at Malibu Creek State Park in California. Uh, my previous nearly identical image of this shot was from 2016. This tree was in the path of the Wolseley fire last year, and three weeks ago when I last visited, I was unsure whether it survived. But today, I saw new growth all over the tree, and so I thought that it was worth revisiting the photo I shot a few years ago. Yeah, thanks, Joe. I really loved uh, that photo, and I love the fact that it was taken the same week that the theme happened. And uh, there's just something about the photo that evoked a lot of power that I really appreciate. So, yeah, it's great work. Uh, let's keep those submissions coming. And, uh, Joe, reach out to me, and uh, I'll try to hook you up with a prize. Uh, so this week's theme is mystery. Uh, again, mystery. So get out there and create some art. Uh, around the theme of mystery, and share it with the group over on Patreon. Well, lastly, uh, another way that you can easily support the podcast is to use our B&H affiliate link, which is here in the liner notes um, or over on the podcast uh, main page over on my website. Um, just check that out. Click on the link, and uh, you know, if you're planning on buying a lens or a camera or some filters, just do that. And a small portion of your sale goes to me and helps support the podcast. Um, if you want to connect with me or the podcast, uh, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. Uh, Matt Payne Photo or F-Stop and Listen. And uh, we do have a Facebook group and I'd love to see your conversation there. Uh, we post a lot over there and talk about upcoming guests and field your questions there as well. So check that out. All right, well, we have a lot of great guests coming up, and uh, I just announced those on the Facebook group, so check it out. And uh, thanks for listening. See you next week.